more time, Calvary Church. Come on, if you've enjoyed this series that we've been in. Yeah, I personally have enjoyed this series and really walking through it. We've been answering some questions, and as Pastor Ben mentioned just a moment ago, that it's important that we ask questions. Um, You know, growing up, religion taught me that it's bad to ask questions because, hey, it's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. But how many of you know if you've lived for some period of time, which all of us have, you will know that on your faith journey, on your grace walk, as you discover who Jesus is, you're going to have questions. And let's be honest, all of us have questions. I like to think as God as a secure God, meaning that when I ask him questions, he's not insecure about my question. He doesn't shy away from my question. Matter of fact, he invites questions. And so what we've been doing in this series, we've been asking specific questions. And even in our gospel circles, this is our typical format, is we ask questions and we answer them. So today, let's go to Luke chapter 18. We're going to read from there. If you have your Bibles or if you're just following along on your Calvary app, or if you want to follow along on the screen behind me, you can do that. But questions are healthy. Do you know that questions are powerful because they bring clarity, and wherever there is clarity, there is breakthrough. See, a lot of us want breakthrough in our lives, but there's no clarity. Did I, I have you know that the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit to lead you into all truth, you'll get clarity. Clarity always results in breakthrough. Paul spoke of a group of people in the Bible. They were named Bereans. And in Acts 17, 11, he spoke this about them. He goes, now the Bereans were more noble characters than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what he was saying, was true. So you can count yourself as a Berean today because you're asking a good question and we're studying scripture to find it out, okay? So kids, what's your favorite question? What is it? I can tell you, because my kids have questions. Parents, you probably know this, but hey, their favorite question is why. (laughs) And then after you answer the why question, it's, well, why not? And after you get over the why not question, it's, but why? And you feel like you finally got somewhere as a parent, and then they come back and say, but okay, but why? Are you hearing me? And so our kids ask questions and as a father understand that my role as a dad as a parent I'm supposed to reassure my kids that they are headed in the right direction the same thing goes with our heavenly father our heavenly father as we ask questions the spirit communicates to each and every one of us and reassures us that we are headed in the right direction that's the role of the holy spirit So we're growing in grace together, and I'm glad that we're doing this together because I wouldn't have it any other way. So in Luke chapter 18, it's a parable. Jesus is sharing a parable to the people around him. And let me tell you this, because many times we have taught on parables, but listen as I say this, because Jesus didn't share these parables to tell you what to think, but he shared them. So you can learn how to think. 
Think about that for a second, because when you teach somebody how to think, they're more empowered. It's not what to think, but how to think. And Jesus said it like this. Well, the kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. If you want to look at the kingdom, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, it's like this. And he painted a picture for people. What was he doing? He was teaching us. He was teaching us how to think about his kingdom here on earth. Okay, Luke 18. You ready? Let's read it together. You can follow on on the screen behind me. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because of this widow, she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets what she's asking for, justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's how much fed up he was with her. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and they get it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? This passage is is interesting. On one hand, you have a judge has no compassion, and on the other hand, you got a persistent widow who never gives up, right? And over decades of teaching this specific passage, there's been a lot of emphasis placed on the persistent widow. The fact that she didn't give up to get what she wanted, right? Now hear me because there's something very noble and very appealing when it comes to someone that never gives up. Right? We have our own heroes, people that we look to and we celebrate because they never gave up. Through hard times, they never gave up. Through difficult trials and maybe failures in their life, they never gave up. But hear me when I say this because it's not so much about what she did, but how she did it. And there is a big difference. Okay, we have a custom here at Calvary Church. Take your right hand, place it on your heart. Kids, if you're in here, I want to hear you the loudest. Come on, repeat after me on this special Sunday family experience. Come on, eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, a mouth to confess. All of the good things. Come on, put something on it. All of the good things Christ has provided for me. If you believe that, come on, give Jesus some praise. What do you do when you get discouraged? What's your first reaction when you become discouraged? Maybe some of you walked in discouraged this morning. Maybe as you're sitting here, you're discouraged and you don't know what you're going to do. As I was studying this past week, I found out that there are three factors when it comes to discouragement in our life. The first one is this, fatigue. I was once told that Fatigue, when fatigue walks in, faith walks out the door. Meaning that when you're tired, when you're mentally and emotionally exhausted, there's no way 
that you can try to keep that strength. Fatigue. Then another factor is frustration. What is frustration? Well, a lot of us experience frustration on a day-to-day basis. Maybe we have things that pile up at home. Maybe there's some tasks that we have to complete that there's no end to, right? And, and we, we understand and we come to the conclusion that we are frustrated. And because we're frustrated, guess what? We become discouraged. But then I learned this one, fear. Did you know that fear is behind more discouragement than we'd like to admit? Now, kids, we tell you all day long, don't fear, don't be afraid. But as adults, can I be honest? Sometimes we fear. (laughs) Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we are. But there's all kind of fear out there. Check this one, the fear of criticism, right? What will they think? In a day of social media, you have to understand that when we post things, right, we post them out there for the world to see. But then like three seconds later, we're like, oh, man, what I just do? What will they think? (laughs) Have you ever been there? Yeah, what will they think? What about the fear of responsibility? What if I can't handle this? And here's one. What are the fear of failure? I won't be able to complete it. I won't be able to obtain it. I won't be able to accomplish that. So fear can cause a major onset of feelings. And you know what I'm talking about. Anxiety and inadequacy, feelings of just not being enough. So if you've been battling with discouragement, I'm glad that you're here. You're in the right place. What we like to do here at Calvary Church, we like to talk about the completed work of Jesus, meaning that the cross was significant today as it was the moment it happened. And every day as a believer, every day I receive his life. Every day I see his grace in my life. Do you want to know what that does to a human being? transforms them from the inside out. So a lot of us have been letting go of religion because our religion taught us was to do, 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 to be accepted, to be loved. And here we are in, in basking in the love of God, understanding his grace is unconditional. I love what our kids said. They are, they are attaching themselves to an unconditional kind of love, and that's God's love. As the Bible says it, agape love. That agape love. So back to our parable, because some have used this story to preach a message on human effort. Now, they may not have said a human effort, but there was a tone of human effort. And it sounded like this, pray and never give up. Now, hear me, because I believe there's something about prayer that is very spiritual. I do. I do. But let me remind all of us that God is not impressed with our many words. Matter of fact, the more and more that I dive into this grace, God's grace for me, here's what I learned. The greatest statement of faith that a believer can make, the greatest statement of faith that you could ever declare is not in your long-winded prayers, but here it is. Thank you, Jesus. Saying thank you. That is the greatest statement of faith because you're attaching yourself to what he accomplished for you on that cross. That's what you're doing. And so before a revelation of the gospel, I used to quote this text when preaching on persistence until I realized that I was missing what Jesus was communicating to us. And I'm glad that I get to communicate it to you. 
So hear me, because the persistent widow, here it is, is expressing persistent faith. Persistent faith. Well, what is persistent faith? Persistent faith says it is possible. Persistent faith says it is possible when the outcome doesn't look promising. It is possible when my body is in need of a healing. Persistent faith says it is possible when I desire restoration for my family, but we're not there yet. Are you getting this? Persistent, persistent faith. And so why can we talk about persistent faith? And here it is, because of God's character. See, so many of us, our faith is attached to the outcome, or maybe some of us in here, our faith is attached to our performance. Right? So if I do these things for God, then maybe he'll dose out a good blessing for me. No, that's not the way to operate or relate to God because it's all based on God's character. So as a new covenant believer, here's what I'm called to. I'm called to attach my weak faith to his character. Do you know why that's important? Because there's going to be times in life where the closest people to you are going to let you down. That's his truth. But you know whose character you can count on? Never changes, never wavers, stays the same from beginning to end. God's. Persistent faith. So listen up, because this parable is less about what your prayer can do and more about what your prayers agree with. And I love that you just shared that earlier because this is where I was headed. It's not about what you're, so much of what your prayers can do, but what your prayers agree with. You know, I believe God is sometimes, you know, he's listening to our prayers. And, and because our prayers aren't agreeing with what he did for us, he's kind of like, man, if you only knew. Like, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew that I have this in store for you, if you only knew that this storm's going to pass, right? That's kind of like what I do with my with my little guys, I'm like, man, bro, if you only knew, like, you want it in five minutes, but in 20 minutes, we're going to get there, and you're going to have so much fun, but you can't see it right now, but if you only knew, and I believe that's the way God is with us. He's saying, I hear your prayers, but if you only knew what I see, you would pray different. If you only knew what I believe true about you, you would believe different. You talk different. Heck, you'd even live this life down here different. You would face that problem totally different. I believe it. That's why we declare the finished work of the cross. And so do you know what ignites and fuels our faith? Here it is. Knowing what God believes about us. Here's why this is important. Because the moment you start to see the way God sees you as a son, as a daughter, as a saint, as one that's a part of his kingdom. He even went on and said, I I call you a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You've been set apart. When we start to see ourselves in that light, do you know what begins to happen? Faith starts to rise up on the inside of you. And it's like a tuning fork that happens and something just feels different and you come alive and you start, you start actually living out the reality of joy that God promised you. 
That's what happens. That's what ignites our faith. And if you've been a part of Calvary for some time, you've heard us talk about this, about the reality above the line versus below the line. Okay? First off, there's no real real line. It's just an imaginary line. But there's a reality, okay, because the Bible says that you are co-seated in heavenly places. Welcome to above the line. So God refers to you above the line, not down here. He doesn't refer to you in all this mess down here. He refers to you above the line, co-seated in heavenly places, at his right hand, as a son, as a daughter, with dominion and with authority. Are you hearing me? So he relates to you on that level, but here's what we do. Because of all the junk, because of all the mess in, in this world, you know what we do? We attach ourselves to things in this world. We attach ourselves to pain. We attach ourselves to depression. We attach ourselves to, 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 to disease, to all these things we attach ourselves to. But God is telling us, think above the line. Set your heart above the line where I see you differently. This is the message of the gospel. You and I have been brought in. You and I are able to really express persistent faith. And so going back to our parable, the judge, yeah, the judge is not God in this parable. Because when you look at the judge, there's no grace, there's no compassion. That is not God. So that's not who God is. But hear me when I say this because there's a translation in, in Luke 18.1, probably the best translation, it says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to teach them that they should always pray and never become discouraged. Discouraged. So let me give you a definition of being discouraged. You know what discouragement is? Having lost confidence and having no enthusiasm. Hey, I... I don't know if this is a crazy idea, but shouldn't believers, especially new covenant believers, shouldn't the church body have, you know, confidence in any situation? Shouldn't we as believers carry this kind of confidence that no matter what is thrown on our path, like it's going to work out for our good? Shouldn't we be the ones so enthusiastic about life that... We should bring joy wherever we go. Shouldn't we be the ones like that? Yeah, we are. We should be the ones. So if anyone had a great excuse, right, to become discouraged, it was this widow. She had every excuse to become discouraged. And a huge source of discouragement today comes from injustice, which this persistent widow was experiencing. And yet we can even look at Jesus' life and see that at times he was discouraged, but hey, he did what you couldn't do, so he conquered discouragement. Yeah, he faced trials and injustices. He was falsely accused. He was sentenced to death by a corrupt official. He was abandoned by his friends. Hey, hello. He He was nailed to a cross, right? Yet Jesus conquered discouragement. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter what you face, you can conquer whatever is discouraging you. Even though you were tempted as Jesus was tempted, you can still conquer 
It, and I've never read in the Bible where Jesus says, you know what? I quit. I'm out. Just forget about it. God doesn't care for me. We never read that in the Bible. You know why? Because he attached himself to God's character. That's what he did. Okay, so let's answer the question with the remaining moments that we have. And kids, I know you're ready to have some fun. I am too. Question is this. What's God's answer for dealing with discouragement? What's his answer? What is it? What was Jesus' secret when it comes to discouragement? How did he defeat discouragement? Because if you think about Jesus, he left an eternal place, right? An eternal kingdom, a perfect place. And he came here on earth, yeah, to give us life. But more than that, he came to introduce you and I to a new kingdom, a kingdom that you and I would operate in a kingdom that is invisible. And the only way that people can see it is when you and I bring light into dark places. Yet he never lost heart because his heart, get this, was fixed above the line. So what do you do when you're struggling with discouragement? Here it is. Fix your heart above like Jesus did. You know how you can do this? You have to become acquainted with what he's declared about you. Because in Jesus' case, on earth, they cursed him. But he remembered his father spoke over him, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. You see how your assurance comes from your father? Okay, because in this world, they will count you down and they will count you out. But your father declares that you are a child of his kingdom. Listen, the world will tell you, and some will say that you are their enemy, but your father declares that you are a friend. Yeah, the world will even tell you you're incomplete. But you know what your father says? Your father says that you're entirely, you're entirely a new person and you have a new life. This is what Paul was talking about, the new creation. The world would tell you that, that God is far away, that he's nowhere close. But you know what your father declares? Your father declares that his spirit lives inside of you. So what we really dealing with, we really have to wrap our minds around what Paul said, that Christ in us, the hope of glory. The world would tell you that you're worthless, but your father declares that you are an incredible work of art. Hey, the world will tell you all kinds of things. The world will say that even you're guilty, but your father declares today that you're totally and completely forgiven by Jesus, one act and one act only. The world will say that you're a mistake, but your father says today that you're created in his likeness. And if you're glad for that, come on, give Jesus some praise. So as we look to Jesus, Jesus didn't let his un the unjust circumstances dictate the way he was going to live his life. No, he didn't. He didn't let those things dictate his reaction. Instead, he kept focus on God and knowing that his father will vindicate him, knowing that his father will bring a good outcome no matter what the situation. So, so you have to remember that Jesus even taught his disciples how to pray, and this is how we should pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already has been done in heaven. Do you know how you pray? From an amen. I declare it on earth 
as it already has been done in heaven. In heaven. So what do you do if you're struggling with discouragement? Here it is. Focus on your father and what he says about you like Jesus did and know that you are vindicated. Let's be honest this morning because that's difficult to do. I've sat down with countless, many precious people that are part of this church and they shared their stories with me and they shared like the heartbreak, the things that have gone on in this world and and bad things happen to good people, right? We know. Bad things happen all the time. The strong oppress the weak, the rich exploit the poor, bosses mistreat their workers. There's death and disease in in our world, I know it's not fair. But at the center, at the center of every injustice that we face here on earth is the heart of man. And I'll still say it to this day, and I'm going to believe it to the day I die, but the greatest miracle that God does and will continue to do is a transformed heart. It is. It's a transformed heart. It's a heart that found God's love. It's a heart that was changed from darkness to light. It's a heart that changed from hate to love. It's a transformed heart. You know why? Because that impacts generations. My father is is testament to that. And I'm here because of that. So the greatest miracle in my eyes, and it will never change, is a transformed heart. And this is what Jesus has done so that our hearts would be transformed by his love, not by your actions, not by your human effort, but simply by his unconditional favor and love and regard towards you. And, and, and I, I, I've come to this conclusion that I'll never preach about men when I can preach about Jesus. You want a champion of persistence? Yeah, do you want somebody that has never given up? Do you want to know somebody who has always fought for good? Don't look at the widow. Look to Jesus. The one that has always fought for good. And can I tell you, as he lives, so do you. His spirit is on the inside of you, just like Paul talked about Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is why John 14, 1 is so real to us because it says, do not be discouraged, meaning don't become weary, don't lose heart, don't become fearful, but trust in God, also trust in me. But I understand trials are going to come. Challenges will come. But guess what? This is where you put your faith in God's character. You know what religion does? Religion makes you question your character. But it's about a relationship. And it's the stronger spouse that saves. And if we're in union with Jesus, which we are, then it's our consistent spouse, Jesus who upholds us by his grace and his love and his perfect performance here on earth. It is his faith. (laughs) I look to his character. I look at his nature. And you want to know what that does for a believer like me? (sighs) That actually allows me to rest 
in his grace. Do you know what the church is marked by? And this is, this is why we declare this gospel. Because I don't want my kids growing up with the burden of religion on their shoulders. With the burden of legalism on their shoulders. Hearing them this morning was a gift. And you got to understand, this is why we declare this. Because when you come to Jesus, he even explained it, that when you come to me, you'll find real rest for your soul. He saved your spirit. But you're still, you're still renewing your mind, your soul. And for some of us, we're allowing our minds to catch up with what Jesus has done in our spirit. And so we're on this journey and he's showing us each and every day our identity in him. And that our identity is solid and it is secure, that it will never change. But we, we have to continue to renew our minds, renew our souls to the truth, to the truth of who we are in our spirits. But when you come to Jesus like that, it's rest. It's grace. Everything that was heavy now becomes light. Tell me, Christian, are you living that way? Most Christians are so fatigued, so frustrated, so worried, so anxious about the day. No, God didn't intend for you to be worried or anxious or even fatigued. Again, we should be the ones that are so enthusiastic about life. We should be the ones that never, never run out of passion. We should be the ones that are so compelled by God's love that we go over and beyond what we can naturally do to be able to express Christ's love to an apartment complex and a school. That's the Christianity that I think Jesus invited us to. <laughs> That's the one that he continuously reminds me that I am on the journey discovering. It's no different for you. Lightly, grace, freedom, patience, joy, gladness, confidence, peace. How relaxed do you feel right now? <laughs> Think about that for a second. It's his promise to you. Yeah, it's his promise to you. So when there's discouragement in your life, you have two choices. It's really what you're going to magnify. When my kids were littler, we used to take walks and they used to bring this magnifying glass. And whenever there was a bug, we would stop and we would look at that bug in the magnifying glass, right? And we would see that it would become bigger. That's the point of a magnifying glass is it makes things bigger, right? Can I propose something to you that what you focus on, you magnify. That what you focus on, if you want to focus on the problem, go ahead. But let me tell you, you're magnifying the problem. And many times we magnify the problem bigger than it actually is. 
my six-year-old got this. He says, look, it makes it bigger. And it's as if God spoke to me in that moment and says, you have a choice what to magnify. Can I point you to Psalm 34, verse 3? This is the psalmist, right? And he says this, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can I let you know that you make God bigger just by you focusing on his character? Listen, you can't make God bigger. He's already infinitely big. But in your mind, you make him bigger than all the problems. In your mind, you make him bigger than all the issues, all the challenges, all the things that you think you're going to face in the future. You make him bigger based on his character. And you realize that God is infinite and he's loving and he's kind towards you. I love another translation. And here's what I'm getting to right here. Another translation says it like this. Come, let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name. If you're going to defeat discouragement, if you're going to over, over, if you're gonna overcome discouragement this year, can I tell you, it's going to be by magnifying, or I'll say it like this, making God's name great. You know, every time that we share a story, we make God's name great. You heard these students up here, they were making God's name great. And I'm telling you that you have stories to tell. My wife, my wife spoke about when we first came into 2021 this year. She said on this platform, God's going to give you stories to tell. And can I tell you, we've heard countless stories over and over where God, where we can make God's name great. And whether you realize it or not, as six year, when you were six years old, you have a story where you can exalt and make God's name great. Maybe when you were 12, you understand that God showed up and he rescued you from that one situation. Maybe some of us, it was in our 20s where he came through and he showed us how much he loved us. We forgot, but we were reminded in that moment. And maybe some of us are in our 30s like myself, where we're constantly reminded that God, his love is for us and will never change. That he's always constantly doing good in our life. And whether we realize it or not, it's my role to make his name great. Do you know what happens when you begin to make his name great? Faith rises up. You attach your faith to his character because it's all about his character. Who tricked you, Christians? It's not your character. That's that question here. It's God's character. It's his nature. It's everything that he completed that you couldn't. If you could complete it, we wouldn't need Jesus. But he completed it. And so we simply say, thank you. We receive it by faith. With every head bow, every eye closed. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read this verse over you. Paul could talk about God's character. And he wrote it like this. We have this treasure in jars of clay. He's describing you. Though you may be fragile, you have a treasure on the inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show us 
the surpassing power from God. We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but we are not destroyed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends today. I thank you that they live from the finished work of the cross. Where God, you say that they are already victorious in you. And then Paul came back and wrote that they are more than conquerors. That we have right standing with you today. And I thank you that Jesus, we stand in your presence victorious, more abundantly blessed. Lord, we thank you that we can walk in newness of life, understanding that though we may have challenges in this life, thank you that you overcame discouragement. And because of that, I can attach my faith to your character. And your character always says that it will work out for our good. If you believe that, come on, give Jesus some praise. Come on.